like everyone was frozen. And my dad looked at me like, hey, get on the stage, next play, like, you know, like direct traffic, like let people know. I'm like, hey, everybody calm down. Like, this is what happens at protests, like get somewhere safe. And then next thing you know, like the uh, police are kind of coming around, flanking from the side with the ambulance. Like I'm communicating with the uh, police chief via the microphone, like, hey, get the ambulance in here, somebody's shot. Welcome to the Untapped Potential Podcast, where we interview visionaries from the Pacific Northwest. Today, we're interviewing Marshall Hugh, the frontman for Marshall Law Band, a Seattle-based music group. Marshall grew up in Mill Creek, Washington, and decided to drop out of an Ivy League school to pursue his passion in music. In this episode, we talk about creating an album from his experience during the 2020 Seattle protests, being nominated for a Pulitzer Prize, and how a spiritual journey inspired him to create a local music event called Fremont Fridays. Welcome to the Untapped Potential Podcast. Today, we're tapping in with Marshall Hugh. Welcome, Marshall. What's popping? What's popping, my brothers? Thank you for having me. Thanks, thanks for coming on, through, man. man. And it wasn't too far of a walk for you, right? It was easy. I was already at my homie Jay Smooth's house. You know, that's one of my bros that's been supporting my music for so long. And now that I'm so busy, anytime like I got free days, I always hit like my good homies like, bro, I remember you. We are friends. What are you doing? So, yeah, I was just kicking it over a spot. And then when I finally looked at y'all address, it was like a mile and a half down. I just strolled, man. Really yeah. local, man. Really yeah. organic out here. <laughs> That's what we yeah, look man. for, man. Just telling around the area, you know? Yeah, they know about the kid, man. I've been posted <laughs> up in this 50-mile radius for a, a good grip now. Hell yeah. Yeah, man. man. So we, we want to know more about Marshall Hugh, man. Grew uh -huh. up in Mill Creek, Washington. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? Well, I mean, I was always one of those. My dad's from South Central L.A., and so he moved up over here. Uh, he went to college in Portland at Lewis and Clark. That's where he met my mom, who's from Tucson. And mm. then they moved up here together. And so one of the main, like, I feel like the biggest thing my dad was like, is like, yo, you're going to look at this whole great, greater Seattle area as your neighborhood. And so like I played sports. The first thing he did, I remember being like four years old. It's like I went down to Seattle, right to like uh, the Boys and Girls Club on Jackson. They're like, yo, you're going you're gonna to play here. This is where you're going to play. So growing up in Mill Creek was cool, you know. Um, I uh, had I just played a lot of sports and I feel like especially when you're in like those type of environments, if you can be athletic, if you're lucky enough to be smart and have a support system at home, like I was a popular kid, eighth grade ASB president, you know, was captain of the sports teams, had a lot of friends, you know, and um, I'm blessed. I feel like I had a very blessed uh, upbringing to where my parents just encouraged me to be myself encouraged me to view both sides of my I'm half black half white and from the jump they're like you're half black you're half white you're not white you're not only black like you are you you are standing in the gap as a biracial person and embrace yourself and love yourself and if you want to do sports you can do sports if you want to be in politics you can be in politics my sisters are uh five and six years older than me they're like super smart they were the like scholars of the family. Like when I dropped out of school, everybody was like, dog, what are you doing? You know, like we already got this figured out for you. We already got the blueprint. So I've always been the black sheep of the family, but a uh, one that I'm the baby, you know? So everybody's just like, oh, there's Marshall being Marshall. And yeah, man, it, it, it was great. I got a lot of, a lot of my best friends to this day are people that I grew up with in Mill Creek. Like my boy, Hool, 
um, who I shout out in this song, Cleo's. I'm like, who'll just wait till I hit this opera? Who'll like March just wait till I'm a doctor? Uh, mm. Big as our nostrils type vibes, you know? And um, man, that's my best bro since like sixth grade. He like put me on Tupac, like deep dives. And he ended up being a doctor. And I watched him do that his whole life. Be like kicking it with us on the weekends, teaching me how to roll up type vibes. And then <laughs> yeah. next thing you know, dude's really like, what he always said he'd be. And those are just the people I was lucky enough to be surrounded with and chose to be surrounded with. A lot of like, a lot of go-getters. Right. You know? Yeah. That's a beautiful thing, man. It sounds like you grew up in a household that really fostered self-love, self-acceptance, and really had those conversations at a young age, man. And you mm -hmm. also surrounded yourself with a good friend group. Man, what was it like, you know, like playing sports? You know, you said sports were huge for you. Um, what's like a, a moment that stands out in sports? Oh, well, since you got to bring it up, we lost in the state championship Damn. my senior year of basketball. But honestly, that's the best thing in my life to ever happen to me. Because obviously you have this beautiful run to the state championship, winning all these amazing games. We'd be Federal Way, which was Federal Way was ranked like 20th in the nation. And we, I remember I have my boy, Brett Kingma. If you, like, if you know Seattle Hoops, you know Brett Kingma's like white boy, filthiest shooter of all time. I'm not kidding. Boy really was pulling up. At, he was like Jimmer Fredette before Jimmer Fredette, I swear. Like, <laughs> that guy. He was really chucking from half court, and, like, it would go in. It was crazy. So, yeah, we, we beat Federal Way, and we, I remember we were at the uh, Tacoma Dome. We were, we were at warm-ups, and we were just looking at these guys like, hey, low-key, we're better than them, you know? Mm. Like, we're like, we can go and beat these guys, and they were 20th in the nation. Beat them. And I remember just the crowd going crazy. And then the next uh, day, we played in the state championship. And we ended up playing. There was like this big dude, Josh Smith, man. He was like 6'10". He was like Shaq. I swear he dunked it. The basket lifted up. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a tough one. And I, I mean, he ended up, his teammates stepped up that game too, man. And um, losing that game was the catalyst for my music career, was the oh, really? catalyst for my passions because I thought to myself, I never want to go into an experience and not be the reason why we won or we lost. Mm. I want to be the person that dictates the energy in these big mm. moments. And I don't want to feel like the lights are too bright or, oh, if I only would have done this or if I only would have done that. So now when I get these opportunities like TED Talks or BBC World Service, like I'm so locked in and I know I'm going in there to just explode. For sure. And go and leave my imprint and leave it all on the court. And so, yeah, that was the that was probably the the biggest moment uh, of my sports career and stuff. It was really cool. When I went to school at Carnegie Mellon, I played basketball and football. First person to ever do that at that school. Um, so that was kind of cool. And um, yeah, I've been coaching basketball now and personal training. I had a chance to be a practice player for the Seattle Storm. And that was awesome. Mm. I just, Stewie elbowed me a couple of times, you know, <laughs> Sue crossed me a couple of times. Jewel Lloyd is, I can't guard her, but um, it was a great learning experience. Taught me how to be like championship minded. Right. You right. know, being around those women and, and their professionalism and intensity. And I mean, mentally, they think the game so much further ahead than I did. Right. And I'm a smart, smart player. So, um, yeah, that was a really big learning experience as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And so sports and music have always had a big influence in your life. But what did a young Marshall want to do? When did you realize, you know what, I'm going all in on music? Hmm. 
Well, I always knew I just wanted to like be an orator, be someone that um, spoke. You know, like I mentioned, I was ASB president and stuff. Anytime there was like, okay, there needs to be a class speech. They would, it was a done data. They knew, okay, Marshall, you're finna go up there, you know? And so I knew I wanted to be somebody who impacted the world with my voice. Um, I was thinking, okay, I know sports is going to be able to give me a platform. And then when I went to school, I was thinking like, cause I would just be freestyling at lunch. I never really took music that seriously. Um, a lot of my friends from O'Day and stuff did, but I, I was like, I was just a freestyle guy, you know? Then when I went to uh, school, like sports was going well, but the energy wasn't there. You go to high school, everybody cares. Like you're the man walking around doing your thing. Mm. I'll go, Carnegie Mellon's like a, a real smart school, you know? I'll, mm -hmm. I'll score 20 points, go off, and then I'm walking around normal, you know? Dudes, don't even, nobody even knows, nobody even cares. And I just started freestyling at parties. And then like I started getting that buzz, that energy that I used to get from sports from freestyling at the parties and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm taking this. After that moment, it was over. I should have just dropped out right then and right there because I was in front row of class taking notes, taking notes, just, but I wasn't taking notes. I was writing rhymes. Oh, and okay. that moment right there was like, because I was in school to, uh, studying uh, history and public policy. So I was going to try to be like a politician. And then honestly, it was, this is the wildest stuff, y'all. I dropped out. I got an internship at Cube 93. I knew as soon as I got that internship, I'm like, it's over. I'm about to start a grassroots movement that changes the world. And that's what I said. And I just dropped out and just just went and tried to do it. Mm, let's go. And that that right there is so wild because at the time I was rapping like 2 Chains or Lil Wayne. Like, it was just party raps, you know? Sure. I didn't really have my own voice. So it was funny for me to have this vision of like, I'm going to try to change the world with my music, but be rapping on some dumb stuff. Not necessarily dumb stuff, but, you know, party raps, fun, you know, just... Just something, something that's not what I stand on now. Mm -hmm. Now I've found my voice. I know what to do. I intentionally, like, don't curse, you know? I intentionally put a positive message into my music. I'll talk about dark stuff. I'll talk about the death and stuff that I've witnessed, but I'm putting a positive spin on it so that it uplifts people. And now I've finally found, like, my voice to match that vision that I had when I decided, like, oh, this is what it is. Right. So you had an interest in music uh, while you were at college. And, and so how did that interest turn into meeting these musicians and forming a band <laughs> together? Hey, this is wild. All right. So I came back. Right. And I went like the first month or so. I didn't really tell my parents like, hey, I'm not going back. But in my head, I know like I'm going I'm not Damn. going back. <laughs> and because I was thinking I was just going to like go to Summer Jam, meet J. Cole, tell him I rap like slide him the the instagram and then it was a, a you know it's a done data like <laughs> i'm on from there i know i got mm -hmm. the juice it didn't end up going like that so when it was time to go back to school like i told like my parents like hey i'm about to go be a rapper i'm not going back to school and they like my pops my pops was always like all right if you're gonna do it do it my mom was like what are you doing my sister's <laughs> like this band is tripping and um they basically said like, okay, you can do that. Like you can make a grown man decision, but you can't do that here. So like, you got to go live somewhere else. Damn. You know? So from that day four, they kicked you out. They huh? kicked me out the <laughs> crib, bro, for being a rapper, man. Yeah. But that being said, so like who, who I was talking about before, mm -hmm. he was one of the, the main people that just was like, 
bro, do it. Like, don't even trip. Like, I got you. So he got me a job at a Little Kickers Magnuson. Never coached soccer in my life. Never played soccer. <laughs> and so I was just a soccer coach. I was coaching babies, 18-month-year-old babies, all the way up to, like, nine years old. Wow. Coaching soccer classes. Right. And um, he, he, his, like, he's uh, Indian and, like, brown families. You know, they always want you to, like, some of them want you to, like, stay in the house for as long as possible. And I was mm-hmm. telling him, like, bro, it's your senior year of college. Like, you can't be in the crib no more, bro. You yeah, got to go experience yeah. it. So he's like, okay, yeah, let's do it. So we got an apartment, moved out uh, to Greek Row, 18th and 45th, upstairs, downstairs apartments at UW, because he's going to UW at the time. And so the place he moves into, it's like two, we have two rooms. There's four other rooms, six total rooms, and we have no idea who the other roommates are, you know? And y'all share like a kitchen and communal space? Exactly. Exactly like that. So uh, I move in there. It's like the homie Fazika, GQ. There's like an old man. This man's like 50, 60 Russian dude. He just stays in his room. We're like up partying till like three in the morning. Coolest roommate I ever had to date. Like never complained, (laughs) never told the landlord or anything on us, you know, was mad cool. But one of my uh, roommates was this guy named Marty who just had long blonde hair. I would just party and kick it with him. He would go to sleep to death metal. I'm like, yeah, this guy is wild, you know? And he, <laughs> Back then, Marty used to like, he used to drink back then. He stopped drinking, he sobered up and whatnot, but he was a wild boy. Boy, jump out the window of the party onto a bush or something. Just, just cause, I don't know what right. we were on back then. I can't tell you, dog. We were literally just wild boys. And like me yeah. and my bro, uh, we had a group, a duo together. And we were just rapping and and throwing parties out of the apartment through the yoga pants party and stuff. That's what I said. Like, (laughs) my music didn't match my, like, mission and what it is now. But I was just finding myself. And so uh, eventually got kicked out that spot for being wild. And um, Marty hits me. He's like, yo, bro, my band's jamming over here at Dante's. Like, you should pull up. I'm like, what? You're in a band, bro? I didn't even know. Like, He's like, yeah, I play the saxophone. I'm like, are you serious, dog? <laughs> yeah. And so I pulled up on the, the jam and I had like uh, five or six raps. I was like, okay, I think this might translate well to like a live band feel. And I just pulled up. It was the band, same band I rock with, man. We uh, Minus a drummer. It was a different drummer, but four out of the five instrumentalists were there that night. I met him at Dante's. I rapped. Everybody was like, yo, that was sick. Like that, And we had so much fun. I was like, oh, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to take this path that I was on that doesn't really mit, mit, like match my mission statement right? and apply it to live instrumentation because that allows my message to be heard by everybody. It allows my message to be consumed from like ages five to like 85, you know? Right. Actually, I used to say 85. And then one time this old lady came up, she's like, I'm 95. What about me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I like, so nine to Gotta 95. Exactly. Yeah. Nine to 95 yep. is the, uh, or a five to 95 is the uh, demographic for uh, what we have going on. But yeah, that's how I met the band. I was already roommates for, with the dude for a whole year. I had no idea. Wow. He was just my friend. Crazy how things come together. So, huh? yeah. wow. The universe, so, wow, though. So before that, were you just like rapping on instrumentals, like, you know, yeah. YouTube beats or, you know, type beats? Or yeah, whatever? pretty much. Um, I, I was recording at this place called uh, Purple Door, which was pretty sick. Like right. it had a lot of um, I, one of my homegirls. She was an intern for Macklemore. Shout out Marsha. 
and uh she was like ah my homie seth he does a production in um the purple door like it's a pretty good studio i'm gonna try to get you in so yeah i just like pulled up paid my like i don't know whatever it was 50 an hour that i made from little kickers and um that was my first experience being around the seattle music scene like during that time nacho was super big and i would yeah. see the him in the studio i'm like oh there's nacho picasso like dang like this is really the spot to be i remember dave b was in there throwing mm -hmm. parties i remember i met uh jake one for the first time uh the Legendary, physics you man. know like yeah. and i was just meeting all these cats and they were just like what's up you know like, they're all people were cool or something, but they weren't taking they were worried about me or, you know, thinking mm -hmm. nothing really of me. They're like, oh, just another rapper in here uh, paying his dues. Yeah. And so that was like really the uh, the time I started. And then in con uh, at the same time, I'm over here intern at Cube 93. So I had a chance to like interview two chains. Oh, I wow. did, you know, I had a chance to like I met like I seen Trey songs like I, I met Rita Ora. Like I started seeing how like teams and posses move and i'm in promotion so every event we pull up i have to set up a tent i gotta take pictures i gotta like a uh, poster and flyer around so like i'm starting to like acquire all these skills at the same time of like getting introduced into the scene on my mm -hmm. own so my two worlds kind of started converging but uh yeah i made like i dropped a, a mixtape um that was under marshall hugh and then i dropped an album that was called Mill Creek. It was like me in front of the Mill Creek sign with a uh, with a sign of my own that said like "Will Rap for Love," and I had I actually had my own beats on that one. My boy Slim Pickens, who was another intern at Cube ninety three, he gave me like he he'd been making beats out of like I mean, we illegally published a bunch of stuff that was sampled. <laughs> it's off the internet now, so you know I got away with it type vibes. But uh, yeah, he like gave me like the hundred beats he had made because he's like I've been making beats for years. I just don't even know what to do with them. Like here they are. Right. And so I made like a 15 track album and um, I did like the release show at like the laser uh, laser dome or whatever. And yeah. I had them set my Mill Creek album to the laser dome. Oh, that's and I, dope. So I started making some waves, you know, I, like the, the yeah. city was being like, OK, this guy's coming different. He's like yeah. he's unique and his his ideas are bigger. And but then at the same time, right, I, got, I left that other spot. I met the band. And I realized this is what I want to do. And I kind of just chilled out for like a year and a half. I read a bunch of books and just studied this thing called the hero's journey, which is basically like a story archetype. That's like the same as Harry Potter, or Jesus or Gilgamesh or uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's just talking about leaving your hometown, gaining a bunch of knowledge, bringing that, going through trials and tribulations, bringing that knowledge back to your hometown and, and that ultimate boon, that truth is now like teaches your hometown the same lessons that you mm. learned on your trials and tribulations. So I was just reading book after book after book. I read the Odyssey. I read Ulysses. Like I was really in the trenches, just reading as much as possible, watching as many movies as possible and uh, writing song after song. And then that's how we came out as martial law band. We did this thing called the hip opera where all of the songs that I made correlated with a different stage of the hero's journey. And then we acted it out, had like 20 different um, Seattle wow. musicians acted it out. And that's how we like came into the scene as martial law band in 2018. Uh, people are just like, dang, this guy came from the laser show, gone for a year and a half, came back with the opera. I, I was all, I've always been on some different stuff, you know. That's what's up. You yeah. pulled up with the band, man. Pulled up with the band. People are like, oh, okay, yeah. Marshall, like I see yeah. you, you know. So 
Yeah, yeah. I feel I feel blessed, man. I, I mean, also my musicians are just so dope. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, and it's there's a lot of them uh, in in your band too. And the thing that sticks out to me the most about your band is what you mentioned the the creativity behind the process and the the performance that you put on to these shows. I went to Funksgiving during uh, Thanksgiving last oh, year. Oh yeah, you went to the one. I did. Yeah. yeah. And that was my first time actually seeing you perform live. Um, and before the show, I remember you were giving out uh, burgers, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah you were giving out burgers. sliders. And yeah. you were just handing them out to the crowd. And it felt like it felt like a vibe, man. And so um, the one thing I noticed, too, is is you also dress up. And you mentioned this in other interviews, too, but like almost like the 70s style. And you mentioned um, that this was illustrative of like the injustices and the challenges of that period and how we're seeing it today. And so I want to dive deeper into like the ethos behind the brand. Like, is it, um, is it really, uh, like, I guess from your point of view, is it to bring up these topics in conversation through your music and perform it out loud? Or, or how do you, how would you like to explain what the band's purpose is for those who don't know? Yeah, I think the main thing is just capturing the zeitgeist, the moment of the time of which we live in and speaking and embodying those bigger themes mm. within our music, right? So we've always talked about social justice and with my pops being from South Central LA and like his family being heavily involved in the civil rights movement and being around for the Watts riot, that was something that was always like ingrained in me. And then, you know, just trying to like spread love and unite people. I think that really comes from like my mom and the way that she views the world. And so those two things have always existed within me. And I like looking at those two moments, but updating them to right now, presently, right. 2022, and then having my lyrics, my appearance, my energy capture the zeitgeist of the moment. And I also do like going retro themes because I feel like people really express themselves. You know, they weren't afraid right. to express mm -hmm. themselves. And I think that's what I want to stand for is like, whoever you are in that present moment, because we all change. We're mm -hmm. not, we shouldn't be stagnant. We shouldn't be the same. It's okay to feel one way and then three years later feel something different. But I also think it's best when you authentically present who you are in the current moment to the world. Mm -hmm. And I like to do that with like my speech, my music, my outfits, and uh, anything I do creatively. I don't know if that answers yeah. your question. No, that's that's exactly yeah. it. And I wanna I wanna piggyback off of that. And uh I wanna talk about like the experiences that you had with uh, doing the TEDx talk and how that came about. Cause you've gone through, you know, doing the hip hop opera to doing the Funksgiving to doing like these other like big, you know, like nationwide like I I guess platforms and, and these types of events. How did that transition happen for for the band and, and who reached out to who? Yeah, uh, specifically for the TED Talk, that one was wild because it was a DM. Oh, really? They DM me. I'm like, oh, this is some fake stuff. You know, I didn't <laughs> yeah. just ignored it. They followed up. They're like, hey, if you don't respond, uh, we were thinking we'll ask Sir Mix a lot. Da, da, da. I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> like, that no, Mix is the OG. Like, respect to Mix did a show with them. But come on, you got to send that look to me. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, they DM'd me. And um, that was a really grueling. That's when you start seeing that there are actual, like, production levels intensity levels and the higher and higher you go the more and more you need to be on top of every facet of your life even mm. because it like for example the ted talk thing we were having weekly zoom meetings like four months out 
Wow. And there it's like pre-production. Hey, what are you thinking? This, this, and that, you know, what are you going to, what are you trying to say? I had to submit a script um, originally, but you know, like that's where I like to, like, I go back to that state championship experience. Mm -hmm. I like to say, you know what? I know what they're trying to do here. Watch me come even harder. I'll go, uh, instead of me sending them a script, I'll record myself doing the speech already memorized, mm -hmm. send that to them. They're like, Oh my gosh, we've never seen someone so prepared before. Like this is wild. And I'm like, yeah, because now when you walk in these spaces, you're going to see a black man that broke every type of projected stereotype you thought you had. I was the most prepared person you have seen out of anybody. So now when the next person gets that opportunity and that look, they're going to come to them with that type of respect off the mm -hmm. rip. Mm -hmm. Because when I got that chance to kick that door down, because these moments mean something to me, you know, yeah. being they're not people you can look around. There's not people like me that stand for what I stand for getting these opportunities, especially in this city. So I yeah. know that if I come correct and I knock these doors down, I'm going to create that opportunity for three, four more people that look like me, but maybe come don't come from Mill Creek. Don't mm -hmm. come from the type of uh, background and uh, support that I have with my family and my loved ones and my friend group. But because they see me do it and a lot of people, especially in hip hop, we got competitive edge. Anybody who sees me on a TED talk or sees me on BBC World Service, I bet you every there's 50 other rappers like, man, that should have been me. Really? What? Yeah. Why this guy? <laughs> well, now that door is open. Yeah. Now yeah. that's not something that's impossible. Now that's not something that's only reserved for the Sir Mix-a-Lots or the Macklemores of the world. The Marshall Hughes came in here and knocked that thing down. Marshall Lawband came in here and knocked that thing down. Yeah. And now everybody can go crazy because if we can do it, I was just in Purple Door getting Lil Broad. Mm -hmm. You know? That's beautiful, bro. Mm -hmm. You're really kicking down doors and really making a way for people, you know, from the city and, you know, people from your background. So that's that's amazing, man. And I want to talk about your experience at Chaz, Chop, whatever you want to call it, man. Mm -hmm. In Capitol Hill, two years ago, a lot went down there. And Marshall Law Band was, was there, you know? Y'all were present. Y'all had a huge presence. What was it like? What was your experience? Man, that's a very uh, a formative experience. It's something like I mentioned, like my family has always been involved in civil rights. So it's in a lot of, in a lot of ways, it wasn't as much of a shock to me because mm -hmm. I'd studied the Watts riots and the, the Watts renaissance that came after that. And my dad had always told me like, yo, the Watts riots was going on. My mom put us all on the floor and there were bullets going through our, our window. And then once that the community stopped, and everything came together, we were more empowered and united for that moment than ever. And so I remember when uh, George Floyd got murdered, I was just in shock like everybody else. And I went to a couple protests where I was just walking with the people and, um, you know, yelling is not really for me, you know, mm -hmm. like that's not how I best like display my frustrations with things. And I get really exhausted. It like drains me. So after the, going to like the first two, three days of the protest, like I was just drained. Mm -hmm. I was exhausted and I didn't really see much of a way to like sustain that for my life. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of went quiet for like one or two days. And a lot of I wasn't really posting on social media or anything about it. A lot of my day one homies, like um, I remember my friend Paris Wilson, who I went to O'Day with, has always been like a guy who's like, man, Marshall, tough enough, you know, like, come on, bro. Like, don't move out his way. You know, like mm -hmm. you walk straight. You like, he would, he really brought like, I feel like a South Am and CD like perspective to me coming from Mill Creek and, and going to O'Day and getting that melting pot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he hit me, he probably hadn't hit me two, three years. He's like, bro, like, we need you to say something like right now, like, 
I'm looking to you for like some sort of guidance. Mm -hmm. And that really like shook me. I'm like, I don't know what, what to say here. This is uncharted territories. I was just at the protest. Like I'm really not the bullhorn front lines type guy. And I started doing some soul searching. I started looking around and I was like, we need to bring the band out here. Like our music is about this stuff. And so we, we uh, communicated. There's a group called On the Block right now that's every uh, second Saturday. They are like kind of recreating that space and what we did. So the main blockade was on um, 11th and Pine. And then over here on 11th and Pike in this little spot, um, a block away, that's where we set up our stage, rented a stage, went and bought a generator with like the last thousand bucks we had in our, our band fund. And we would just pull up, we, we'd sing our songs, we'd recharge people. After four or five songs, we'd stop and give people water and, and food. And we'd tell them to like go into the crowd and like get, maybe relieve somebody, get somebody off their feet. And like, we created this recharge station yeah. to create some sustainability. And so when we were first out there, it wasn't like it was some sort of peaceful spot. Like it was a, a basically a war zone. They had tanks out there. Like people are getting pepper sprayed and we just wouldn't move. And that would just encourage other people to keep coming and to stay and the type of connectivity we had with the support staff was there you know it's yeah there's the protesters yes there's the police right here uh, clashing at the barricade but there's a bunch of people coming out there for like uh the bike brigades out there there's people with food there's people with sailing there's there's people that are uh you know i kind of put out the call i'm like yo artists like graffiti artists skateboarders everybody like just come down here. Like yeah. whatever your thing is, whatever your talent is, just come down here and feel the energy and have it feed off of each other. Like we could have never really predicted on those first two, three days yeah. that we're out there. Like, okay, it's about to turn into some sort of like autonomous zone or yeah. occupied protest. That really wasn't our specific goal or intention. We didn't have like a specific goal or intention. We were there to like provide some sort of recharge station and sustainability to this intense moment. And um yeah, that's what we did. And that was wild, you know. Yeah. Right. That was really that was really that's what Twelfth and Pine's all about. And that's kind of how we were able to take a, a breath and decompress from such like a, a traumatic like experience, you know. Yeah. I'm not I don't even rock with fireworks no more. Like they really yeah, not, crazy yeah, really not cool to me, you know. And y'all, yeah. there there's an article out there that talks about how y'all kept playing music while there was rubber bullets being shot at the people, at the protesters, right? Mm -hmm. What was that like when that was happening from your perspective? Honestly, I'm I was I've always been that friend that's like, the revolution's coming, like y'all, the revolution. So yeah. when it was there, I'm telling y'all, like mentally, I was like prepared to pay whatever price needed. And it was sick too. My mom hit me. She's like, yo, I got bail money for you and the boys. Like, and you know, my pops, he actually came and this is during COVID, you know, like mm -hmm. especially older people that there, a lot of people were rattled to be out there, mm -hmm. uh, let alone, you know, be out there with rubber bullets and all that stuff. And I remember there was a time when, um, the car like swerved into the protest and shot Dan Gregory, who's featured on the hometown hero, uh, number six on 12th and pine. And, like everyone was frozen and my dad looked at me like hey get on the stage next play like you know like direct traffic like let people know i'm like hey everybody calm down like this is what happens at protests like get somewhere safe and then next thing you know like the uh police are kind of coming around flanking from the side with the ambulance like i'm communicating with the 
uh, police chief via the microphone, like, hey, get the ambulance in here. Somebody's shot. He's like, we're not going in there unless the, the ambulance people can be police escorted. I'm like, you're not going in there, police escort, because this is about to turn into a whole situation. Mm -hmm. Y'all have just been tear gassing and beating us for four or five days. Like, we're not mm -hmm. going to be in close proximity with people that have been treating us like that right now. So, like, I had to be on the mic in the middle of basically a panic situation and be, like, negotiating how to get this person medical care and how to get this car that we don't know. has a, Does it have a bomb in it? Does, are there more shooters? Is this an orchestrated attack? And this is real life, you know, nothing that I have uh, prior experience of, but more instinctual experience that mm -hmm. roots back to whether it be my basketball intensity or my, my father or my friends group, making sure I'm educated in the, the cyclicalness of history and to know that these moments aren't something that is unique to me. They have happened since the beginning of time and I got to stay calm enough and operate enough to be a leader in the midst of chaos. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's one of those things where you don't know you have that in you until you really do it. But it took all those little small steps of Paris hitting me or me going out to uh, the protest myself or making the decision to be music to be mentally prepared for a moment like that. And right. it just got kind of got wilder and wilder. And, and we just st stood for something, you know, it was just yeah. like, yo, I'm, I'm not about to move. Whatever happens to me up here, everybody else is taking this same stance. Like whatever mm -hmm. happens to us happens to us, but we're about to stand up for all of us right now. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy, man. Cause it's almost like, you know, hearing your story, what you just shared, it's it's almost like you were built for this moment. You know, you shared about how in eighth grade in high school, you were that guy that people looked at, you know, say a speech, you know, do something. They looked at you and then you, you found this passion for music and that kind of, you know, came together into this moment here in, you know, the, the chop zone. And you stood up, like you said, in a moment when the people needed you the most, you were there and you were present and, and you did your thing, man. So shout out to you. Yeah, Real. thank you. Thank you. How long Stressful. were you in the band out there for? So uh, we ended up playing like, I think something like nine times in 14 days or something oh, uh, wow. of that nature. But we played six straight days back <sighs> to back to back to back to back to back to back. And like, uh, I, it was a, like, it was a very tumultuous time. And there's a lot of feelings uh, about it, you know, um, especially in the moment. A lot of people didn't understand how music and protest go hand in hand. A lot of people don't get like, okay, throughout the history of time, music has always been a part of protest. Maybe not exactly front lines like that, mm -hmm. but if you look at the Million Man March, I mean, God, they, they have programming. They have people come and play music for the people. So uh, I was asking other musicians like, yo, I need some help down here. I need some vocal rest. We're playing like four hours a night. Mm -hmm. And and so J-Mo the Bird was out there carrying a load. Uh, P.O. Box was out there uh, carrying a load with me. I am Chamel pulled up, uh, was putting on. And uh, Maya Marie came out and played. My boy Chris King like stepped up for me. And like one time I needed a break, like he went and performed. And then people were on him like, why is this white guy performing at this, you know? And it's like, cause I literally asked him to, because we're providing a recharging service mm -hmm. that helps fuel the greater ecosystem that's going on here. Right. But there's so many different complexities involved in the conversation that a lot of people and a lot of people I admired. Cause you know, like I wasn't Ted, Teddy talking back then, you know, yeah, like absolutely. I'm looking up to people in the scene. Like if I could only have this person's support, then maybe this dream could work out. 
And then the, uh, the people I'm like looking for their support, they're on the internet just bashing me, you know? And that's when I woke up like, dog, I don't need nobody. I know I need my heart. Mm-hmm. I need I need my moral compass and and to do it with a passion and a fervor that whether I admire you musically or I look up to you like you can do and I'm going to continue to do that. You can do what you do, but nothing's going to stop me from being that person that was called and built for this moment mm-hmm. so uniquely because it'd be doing a disservice to everyone who built me up to be the person that I am to be ready for this moment. If I just folded because somebody I admire says something about me on the internet. Right. Right. Yeah. But I'm not going to lie. Those moments cut me deep to where I was like, man, my mentors can still be my mentors without me always having their approval. In fact, yeah. the fact that we clashed in that moment has brought me closer with a lot of these people that I admired that nobody was paying any attention to me before. And then now we were able to sit, have conversations. They had some time to process it. I had times to process it. it. Didn't do everything perfect. I mean, the first night that we were out there, I was kind of playing it like a gig. Then right. I seen it got more and more responsibility, more and more uh, intense. And then so we started, like I said, taking breaks, sending people in, helping flank because there there was this barricade, but there's also another barricade. Mm-hmm. And so if numbers were looking thin up there, I'd be like, "Hey, we need numbers. We need numbers." And people would literally sprint, leave the stage go and like protect and flank our backside so it couldn't we couldn't get sideswiped by the police and wow. then you know we'd open up the the stage to have other people come and speak and people that maybe didn't feel comfortable speaking with a bullhorn in the middle they have a right. stage they have a microphone they have a a, a place for them to come in and do what they love so yeah, yeah man it's one of these things where it, it, grew, it made me grow up fast. Right. It made me grow up fast. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing about the pushback that you got from certain people and mm-hmm. clashing with your mentors too. Cause that goes back to what you were talking about with the hero's journey. You know, you were staying committed. I love the book, The Alchemist. Yeah, oh, it's know, one of my favorites. Kind of falls in the archetype. Absolutely. Right? And man, for me, it's like, you know, you're going through all these trials and tribulations. You think you're almost there and then you get hit with pushback. But those times when you meet the most challenges, when you grow the most. And I think that that was highlighted in those in those moments that you saw there. So that's really powerful. And I think a lot of our listeners can can learn from that. But I want to talk about your album, man. I want to talk mm-hmm. about that 12th and Pine because yes, y'all were nominated for a Pulitzer Prize mm-hmm. for that. And and for people that aren't aware what a Pulitzer Prize is, man, it's, it's, a, it's a big award in the art community, right? And uh, I think the only other hip hop album to have uh, won that award was uh, Kendrick Lamar's "Damn" mm-hmm. at the time when y'all were nominated. I don't know if if anybody has won. Yeah, no since one else. Then, but... No one else got it. I mean, yeah. so we were under consideration, which means right. like basically our. This is another thing that like, there is a lack of information and access that makes platforms like Pulitzer or Grammys or whatever seem unattainable and inaccessible. Mm-hmm. When in reality, a lot of these things are application based. So that's every person that you see that's won a Pulitzer Prize. They applied for a Pulitzer Prize. You do have to go through an application and it has to be approved to be under consideration for it, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is where I'm again, I'm so tapped into this stuff. I know like, okay, to get a Pulitzer Prize, you have to apply. And so for us to apply and be under consideration and accepted through that process, that was like a huge win mm-hmm. because a lot of, cause I, I literally asked myself, wait, how did Kendrick get this Pulitzer? Like, mm-hmm. I know these people aren't listening to Kendrick stuff. I Googled like how to do it. They're like, 
yo, it's for 125 bucks right here. You can apply <laughs> to be, you have your art wow. considered to be a Pulitzer. And that's the type of information that I feel like, especially the entertainment industry or people that make it or get to certain positions. I could sit up here and like keep that veil up. But what does Pulitzer's veil do for me? Right. I want to see other people. I want my friends to go and apply for Pulitzer's and be under consideration and be able to leverage that into TED Talks, into BBC World Series. So for us, it was like, okay, no one else in the world went and played six straight days in the middle of a protest, saw people got shot, tear gas, rubber bullet, all this wild okay. stuff, and then went and compressed that experience into an album that accurately depicted from our perspective what occurred in a piece of history and then took that album and dropped it as a comic book, a documentary, right. and a bunch of fire music videos. If this ain't a Pulitzer album, if this shouldn't be considered, then what should be? What should be? And so having mm -hmm. that type of uh, access to information having the veil pulled off of my own eyes. I know how all these industry mm -hmm. things work. I know it's an email away. I know it's an application away. I know it's not like something that's unattainable and to have the follow through and the $125 and the ability to type well enough. Yeah. We made that play and um, yeah, I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna keep applying until we win one. Cause I yeah. feel like we got robbed, man. I slept yeah. like a baby the night before <laughs> I've slept like a baby the night before. I'm like, Oh, mm -hmm. there's no way we don't bring this home. They ended up uh, giving it to somebody who didn't even have words in their music. I'm like, Oh yeah. See this thing. It wasn't, it, it was just like instrumental. Yeah. I don't know how that represents mm -hmm. the Zygeist. The Pulitzer winner was just an <laughs> instrumental. They dropped the beat. Yeah. They dropped the, hey, hey, the beats were hard though. It's a, that dub, is it's a dub for you guys though, yeah, man. Yeah. Like you said, it's, it's politics involved. It's a lot of like, you know, you said those curtains that are put up, but man, it, it's an honor that you guys were even, you know, that you went through that process and that you're shedding more light on it too. Yeah. yeah. And I want to just highlight again, like the creativity and like the performative nature of your band. I mean, there's no other band that I know that are making graphic novels. Hey, this is hard too. This yeah. is my boy Pierre. He's a French dude uh, who lives in Tacoma. Um, black French dude, man. He's so cool to work with. I uh, gave him the vision and uh, wow. And look at you, look man, at like you're right there, you know, the second block of the comic and it just goes through. Um, I think the storyline here is, you know, behind the reason why you needed to go out and perform uh, during this period of time. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, man, super creative, man. I don't see any other band doing this. Bro, you're a whole superhero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I put it on my chest and Let's stuff. Go. Look at this. The magic <laughs> microphone, too. Hey, that's filthy. You know? You yeah, know? That's, that's Spacer right there, uh, who's on Cube 93, and uh, or I guess they, they, I think they shut down Cube 93, which is ridiculous, but she's on Converge and, and a bunch mm -hmm. of other uh, media platforms and that was before i ever got a chance to meet her i'm like yo throw her in the um throw her in the comic book because she one day she's about to be playing our stuff and that yeah, moment yeah. actually came true so this was actually just like um and this was her you're saying yeah right this is yeah. her and you know i sent i sent uh pierre a picture of her and everything was like yo this is the radio host that's like doing it big in the city and like putting on for black artists like make sure you include her in this that's what's up. Yeah. That's what's up, man. That's so cool, yeah. Man. Props to you, man. Props to you. And so last year, you actually kicked off something brand new, Fremont Fridays at LTD Bar and Grill down in Fremont, man. Tell us more about that. Oh wow! 
Okay, so you already know by now, y'all know I'm long winded, so I got to go way back. I got to tell you, I got to tell <laughs> you the story. The Let's go. So look at this. After Chop and Twelfth and Pine dropped, again, I'm like working hard, working hard. I, I had a mission, and Twelfth and Pine gave me direction, promoting it, uh, gave me direction. That's when we like, okay, how are we gonna get the word out about it? We can't do performances because of COVID. And I was like, literally like, yo, we should just do pop-up performances. The band was like, no, bro. That's like, logistically, it's not going to work. I'm like, well, what if I got a parade float? They're like, ah, boy, you're not going to get a parade float. And then I hit uh, Fremont Art Council. They're like, yeah. I was like, do you guys have an extra like uh, parade float? They're like, we actually might, you know? Huh. And so we went, we fixed it up. They sold it to me for a dollar. And we drove around the city uh, on the back of a parade float uh, towed by my drummer's truck. And we just rode around promoting 12th and Pine, like playing for people that were just in their apartments on the street. Uh, there was COVID, so not a lot of people were even outside. We would just like pull up to a big apartment complex and people would freak out, like show us signs. So that like really took me through, um, like we dropped the album in October. That probably took me through like January of just being like gassed up. Like I know my purpose, I know my mission. Mm -hmm. But as that kind of, um that chapter came to a close i was left like really looking at myself and the place in history that we now have been a part of and i'm like i started to feel like what do they call it? imposter syndrome you know mm -hmm. i'm like bro am i really like this leader like yeah i risked my life and did all this wild stuff yeah i turned around and did this but like is that just something i was doing because it was like black people involved and because that's a cause that I'm willing to die for or I'm like am I consistently this person like mm. is this the new standard in my life right and I was kind of like going through it like am I that am I not how do I feel where do I go from here and I was actually down in Los Angeles and this is why I'm so blessed to have the type of support system that I do and the type of friends in my circle Basically, there's a guy named Torn Frost, who's one of the best freestyles ever. He he was at the Funksgiving, the guy who jumped up and freestyled oh, the, yeah, in front yeah, of yeah. everybody. Like he didn't even know he was freestyling that night. Oh. <laughs> I just literally seen him in the crowd and I was like, I know that you are built for this moment and how much this moment would mean to you. So come up here. So anyway, I go to hang out with this guy. He's like, Yeah, I'm staying at this in this commune in Topanga, which is like in the hills over by uh Malibu and stuff. I'm like, oh bro, I wow. don't know what you want. You feel me? <laughs> he's like, yeah, meet me over here. I go over. Uh, he's like, he's like, all right, meet me at this beach. So I like see him at this private beach. He comes down with like a speaker and a microphone and like puts it towards the ocean. And him and I are just like freestyling to the ocean for like two hours. I'm like, whoa. Wow. I'm like, this guy must be at a filthy commune. Like, I don't know yeah. what type of commune he's on, but like, he's moving so different. Like, his nice. energy is so different. And it started to feel like super refreshing. Like, I could start to feel like that bigger, like, get back into my life. Mm. So we go up this windy hill. He takes me up to Topanga. I kid you not. I pull up, like, the, the, the woman who um, is the head of the commune, she's like teaching a fencing lesson in the parking lot of the high hills i'm like bro torrin where wow. do you got me he takes me into like this organic farm 40 acre organic farm and like they have this floating bed that apparently him and like a couple of other women like would sleep on at night underneath this oak tree and basically he tells me he's like marshall i want to bring you here 
so you could join a cult. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's like, bro, I want to take you here because there's this land defense movement that's going on in Superior, Arizona at the Oak Flats. And I've been sleeping underneath this oak tree and something is really calling me to go out there and be a part of this land defense movement. And I wanted to ask you if you would come with me. And I'm like, bro, like, okay, you know, like, this is a moment that I feel like called to be a part of this quest. Mm -hmm. So I hit up my boy Murph, um, who I went to school with for two years. And I know he's like adventurous and stuff. I pull up on him like, yo, um, there's this land defense movement going on. Do you want to come? He's like, I'm at his house. He like pulls out a gas mask. He's like, oh, should I bring this? Like, like <laughs> He was ready. Yeah, I'm like, okay. Like, I'm with the right squad, you know? Like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe just pack it. I don't, I don't know. I thought we were going to be like, Lincoln arms or something because like, <laughs> basically they're building a mine on um sacred apache land where they would go and have their uh, annual ceremonies in this spot and then not only is the mine going to make it so the the ceremonies are are disrupted but it's also going to affect the water quality and it's going to put copper into the, the streams oh and so this is mm. like something that not torn felt very passionately about but i myself feel passionately about Mm -hmm. um respecting the indigenous people and their cultures and their traditions because they've been here on this land the longest they really know how to not only live off the land but also to honor the land mm -hmm. and so i was like all right so we drove for seven hours we're making songs on the way over there about like you know I, they put copper in the water they put metal in the streams got it in my veins feeling like i'm wolverine hey. <laughs> you know like we're making music off of this just like okay we can't wait when we pull up, we see this uh, giant, like, they have these huge fires, like 20 feet tall fires. And um, women who had just come of age, they're like dancing around the fires all night. And so like, we pull up, it's like a campground type situation. And like, I probably would have been cool because it was me and I'm brown, you know, a person of color, but I'm like with two white dudes, you know? Mm. So like immediately we're wondering like, uh, should we be here? Are we intruding? Mm -hmm. um is it okay to make art about this space and what's going on here and so we kind of just observed and we went to sleep and then we woke up we're like we need to go on like a hike or something and go and figure out like what's our purpose why are we here mm -hmm. and we didn't want to like make more work for people i think that was something big that i learned at chop and whatnot it's like me i was so exhausted i'd have so many people hitting me like marshall what can i do what can i do what can i do i'm like Bro, just come out here. You what do you mean? What can I do? Like, figure out what to do. Like, I'm already doing my own stuff. Like, so I really didn't want to make work for these people. So we went on this hike. We we're these boys were crazy. My boy Torn, no shoes on, no shoe magoo in the desert, hiking, jumping from Ooh. rocks to rock. They're free climbing stuff. I'm like, this is not my vibe. I got my Yeezys on. Uh -huh. I'm like, this is not my <laughs> vibe, you know? And they're like doing things where like, we're, we're free crawling. So it's like, if I were to slip and fall, like I could bash my head out here. I started thinking of like, damn, like I'm really risking my life out here right. with these blokes. And then I'm, uh, we climb up something and then it was only like a two foot gap, mm -hmm. but it's like jumping from rock to rock. It's like, dang, if I don't, I can always clear two feet, but what if I slipped or something? If I go down, like yes. they're going to be like, Marshall, you dies on a vision quest. You know, I'm like, oh my <laughs> God, no, not me. So I just started doing it. <clears throat> not like, not thinking twice about it just right. like yo i'm just gonna do it and so we're doing it doing it we like slide into this bluff that's like almost like a mini grand canyon and i don't know what like what inspired me to do it i just start screaming into the abyss just mm. ah! 
and then Torn and Murphy are just joining me. We're just screaming to the fist, and it felt like so therapeutic. And I kid y'all not, I wasn't even on no drugs or nothing. This wind just starts like pushing us and and feeling it. We're just ah screaming into the abyss, and I just felt so alive. That's I'm like, wild. oh my, like we just got like the earth just talked to us. Like we're in the right place. Like we're following what earth and and the the spirit that i follow is where i'm in the place like i could mm-hmm. feel it but then we're like wait but what does that mean you know we still didn't find a way to like really properly uh be a part of what was going on so we're going back down we're like you know what we're just gonna walk to the mine and we're just gonna go straight to the mine and like we were walking walking we were low-key running out of water we're like oh this is maybe <laughs> not the best idea you know and then Torin looked on the ground and he saw a piece of trash he was like, yo, we should pick this up. He's like, wait, we should pick all this up. And that was it. We went back to the campsite. We got two giant bags of garbage each, and we cleaned up the whole campsite for these people. Right. And people were coming up to us like, yo, this is the, like one of the nicest things we've ever seen anybody do. Like, what are y'all doing? We're like, yo, we're outsiders out here. We didn't want to make more work for you, but we wanted to show you that we appreciate you as uh, people, your traditions, and we acknowledge the land defense struggle that you're going with. And we want to like make art about that. If that's okay. Mm-hmm. They're like, Oh, the elders right there in the tent. You could have just gone. And talked to him. <laughs> you could have saved all this time. And it was just like, and so we went and sat with him. Right. And that's how I told you. This is, a long, this is all to tell you about Fremont Fridays. Right. Right. Yeah. So we, we go to sit with him, And basically what he said is a lot of like experts and, White people were coming up like, this is how you, uh, this is how you, this is my white voice. Hey, this is how, this is I'm sorry, mom. Yeah, I'm sorry, you don't talk like that. Anyway, that's my environmental uh, scientist voice. There you yeah, go. They're like, um, <laughs> they're like, you should, uh, you know, this is, you got to file this paperwork. You got to do this. You got to do that. And none of those strategies were working. And yeah. so what they did is they did a recommitment to the traditions that they had of old. So they ran a fire, a lit fire mile by mile relay all the way across Arizona back to the oat flax to light the big flames that we saw. Mm. And uh, inexplicably, like two weeks later after them doing that, the environmental impact statement in like an unprecedented event got rescinded and they got like a 120 day extension on the mine not being able to drill. And so what he, uh, you know, uh, attributed that to was their protest is in their process and in their practices. And they hope, he said, I remember like yesterday, he's like, our goal is to change the hearts and the minds of our oppressors through our process. Mm-hmm. And that was like the light. That was like the moment I was screaming into the abyss for. That was the mm-hmm. direction that I, my soul needed after Chop and after 12th and Pine yeah. to where I was like, no, I'm really about this. Like, I'll go climb and risk my life in some Yeezys to scream into the abyss, to gain knowledge from different cultures, to be able to bring back to my own hometown and share with my friends. And so I was like, all right, instead of me just pulling up on protests, mm-hmm. I'm going to create my own protest that embodies the values that I care the most about and try to change the hearts and the minds of the people that may not understand why we were protesting in the beginning. Mm. And so that's what Fremont Fridays is, is really a protest, but it's music, it's community, it's highlighting a mostly BIPOC vendors, and it's Uh. breaking the mold of this cookie cutter 
Seattle nightlife that keeps being forced upon us. And it's saying, no, we're going to show up. Hip hop music is valued here. Local music is valued here. And expression and love and community is here. And that's what Fremont Fridays is. I hollered at mediums. They're like, bro, you're crazy. Like, <laughs> like, like let's do it. You know, that's how yeah. I love those books because they're like as crazy as me. You know, like yeah. all I got to tell them is the plan. And they're like, okay, like that's we'll dope. be there. We'll be there. And, and so that's how Fremont Friday started. And uh, after, after it being so uh, successful last year and after the type of impact it had, we're like, we got to do it again. And last year we got 15 straight Fridays of sun. Yep. To start off Fremont Fridays, these first two weeks have been rainy. Yeah. But it like tested, you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm crazy now. Like I live for the test. I live yep. for like the the adrenaline rush of like, are you really who you say you are? Are you going to rise to this occasion? So yeah, it was like mid set. It started pouring rain. I'm up there climbing up the, the parade floor. It's called the SS Jelly Bean. We're like climbing it up. I got a tarp. Like we're like pushing together. <laughs> People are like scrambling to move tents. And we like all like in a community style, like just like protected us from the rain. And last week we were ready for it. It looks better and better. You know what I'm saying? Fingers crossed type <laughs> vibes. But yeah, we literally weathered the storm and like, bro, we really want this. And, and our our protest is in our practice now. Yep. And, and that's just, that's the vision, man. That's yeah, awesome, man. That and it's awesome. a great vibe out there. I can vouch for it myself. Went to yeah, two we've events been. last year and man, we had a great time out there, bro. Beautiful venue too. It's outside and you can go inside too because it's right next to a bar. But Yeah, shout out LTD. Man. That's another, yeah. the owner, Jack, same thing, like, I pulled up on him fresh after the vision quest, like frothing at the mouth. I was telling him like, bro, I just climbed uh, Superior, Arizona, Oak Flats, like screaming to the abyss. He's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, and so we're going to pull the jelly bean yeah. up in the parking lot and throw a party. He's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. But credit to him, you know? Like, yeah. He's like, all right, like, Let's with your crazy it. eyes, Marshall, bring it. Yeah, yeah that's dope. Y'all are coming hard this year, man. So looking forward to Fremont Fridays this year. You got anything else going on? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a blessing to, because I felt like Fremont Friday, that was like my next chapter. And then I kind of started feeling like that a little bit again. See, that's the thing. Right. I'm, I'm worried about my life, you know? I don't can't tell what other type of wild stuff. <laughs> you got to write a book, man. I, I know, got to write a book. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be a graphic novel, too. Yeah, yeah and, then, and then you'll win the Pulitzer on that. Yeah, oh, no, I'm <laughs> telling you. I'm coming <laughs> for the Pulitzer. I swear. And I like that's the thing. I did research on Joseph Pulitzer. Like he was the most me type of dude ever. Like he would run his own, like uh, like he would run for office and then run his own campaigns in his in his paper and stuff. And like <laughs> he was the first one to like make 3D printing. So like I really wow. felt like we embodied the spirit of Joseph. Anyway, Pulitzer, we coming for you, buddy. <laughs> we coming for you, man. I'm gonna give me one. Um but yeah, so uh, I was feeling like that again. Yeah. And then another thing, like, uh, so BBC International News is like this huge platform, probably the biggest in the world. Right. And they just emailed us one day. They're like, yo, like, we heard that you did this, this in Seattle. We're going to uh, a stateside tour of New York, Seattle, and LA. We'd really love to feature you on the panel and have the band perform. I'm like, let's mm -hmm. go, you know? Yeah. And so they came to Seattle. We held it down. And then... Subsequently, we went out to Europe. And so now um, we met with them out there and they said out of everybody, this, I swear, I swear, they said out of everybody from New York to Seattle uh, to L.A., 
that internationally the most people hit them about martial law band. Wow. And like man. some of these other people, they're like, That's you know, they, 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 they're dope too, without a doubt. They got Grammys. Some of them probably got sure. Pulitzers, you know, yeah. but our story resonates internationally and what we're trying to accomplish resonates internationally. And so the next quest, the next vision is when uh, the man's name's Mugabe, who's uh, the producer uh, of this uh, arts hour. He was telling us, he was like, I really believe Martial Law Band could be an international band of love. And y'all need to connect with these other artists that have a similar mission, not just regionally, but internationally. Mm -hmm. And then show that if you can create without borders and be like standing in your truth and in your gaps internationally, why couldn't we do that? We live right next to you. I'd walked here. Yes, right. You know, we should be good. Yeah. If I can do that with somebody in Zimbabwe or Russia, then that's what this next project is going to stand for. So right. in um, September, October-ish, uh, I'll be going out there uh, to London again as like my hub, my base. It's eight hours ahead. So it's really hard to communicate internationally yeah. with people. So mm -hmm. we're, we're finishing up tracking our, our next album. Uh, that's going to be like an international album of love. And we're going to connect with those artists and build that uh, intergalactical, hopefully, bridge um, that just stands for connecting without borders and, and really like taking our next step in our chapter. And that's yeah. that's that's what's next. That's beautiful. Let's go, man. Yeah, Make come on. Moves, man. Come on, baby. We'll be rooting for you, bro. <laughs> going yeah. global, man. Yeah, going I'm global. telling you, next up, I'm trying to play on Mars, man. <laughs> there you go. We'll <laughs> hook it up it. with Elon too, man. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Marshall, for coming yeah. through. Thank man, you for having me. Y'all I'm telling y'all, y'all are Y'all are professional. You're clean. I seen the notes. I'm like, oh dang, these boys. I, they were scrolling on the notes. <laughs> right, okay, so no respect to y'all. I, I really, I really see um, the necessity for high quality media in our region, and the fact that y'all are stepping up to uh, fill that and do it with such a passion and take the time to research like that. This is big time, fellas. So yeah, y'all got a supporter in, in me, and maybe a deuce at Fremont Fridays, or let's figure something out. You know, however. Oh, yeah. Let's do it, bro. Let's I appreciate it, it. It means a lot. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode, guys. And if you want to catch more, we have uh, episodes dropping every Wednesday. Um, and thank you again to Marshall for, for joining us on this episode. Please like, subscribe, uh, comment what episodes you guys want to see next. And we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.